The Way Out Podcast, episode 318. Hey, bro, what's your name? Tony Byrne. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, yeah, Tony. (laughs) Uh, Welcome, welcome. What was your substance of choice or DOC? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty much a garbage dumpster, I think, like a lot of us. (laughs) A hot hot dumpster fire, but, um, you know, uh, primarily it was meth. And then uh, I would say close close second would be alcohol. So, but yeah, definitely meth. That's where everything got super weird. Yeah. I, mean, I feel like it always gets weird, but it got really, really weird for me, you know? So, I feel yeah. You. I can't <laughs> wait to hear about how weird it got. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is your recovery date, sir? Uh, October 9th, 2014. Damn, son. Yeah, coming up on eight years, man. What a trip. That's so awesome. Yeah. So proud of you, bro. Thanks, man. Hell yeah. And now here's a loaded question. You know, there's some of those guests, you guys, that just, it's like, where do I begin? But I'm going to ask it, and you know, we're going to hear it. How do you serve the recovery community? I'd say that is a good question. <clears throat> I don't know if loaded's the right word, but... Um... I think some of us um, are so grateful to be to be able to serve. We just have these lives that end up being so complex in the service world, and and and, and uh, it's difficult to know kind of where to start, right? So, yeah, <clears throat> I guess I would say, um, well, first and foremost, I serve my family. You know, um, I uh, was very very fortunate to marry my person um and she and i have two beautiful children a two-year-old and a uh, an eight-month-old little girl and Mm. i mean i have an 18 year old from my previous marriage which i'll talk about a little later but um so you know service in my opinion first comes to I mean, you serve your family every day, right? I mean, right. so, um, but aside from that priority, um, I serve and currently I serve in the criminal justice world. Um, I, um, I used to mentor guys quite a bit, but my career really kind of accelerated over the last five years. And so I've had to, I mean, I still do to a certain degree um, in a certain fashion mentor men, um, you know, it's typically guys I know, you know, that have, um, um, you know, kind of fallen off the wagon and come back uh, looking for some advice, and that that's helpful. But you know, right now I I serve on the front lines um, against the war on addiction um, in the criminal justice world. I work for a diversion company right now um, called Diversion Solutions. Um, we contract with. Hennepin County and 38 other jurisdictions to provide um, compassion-based accountability. Um, so it's essentially a privatized probation, um, and we um, we. So I've been in the system since I've been 12, and like many of listeners have institutionalization issues, and mm-hmm. you know, just like I do, just like you do, you know, I mean. It's, uh, so I know where all the gaps are in the current system, right? right. Es- essentially, uh, one of the biggest is 
you know, you could be on community corrections and sitting across from a person who knows literally nothing about Liv's experience regarding addiction, you know? Yeah. And so we, um, we took that model and flipped it on its head and we only hire people with criminal records <laughs> for the nice. most part. Awesome. Um, and we, um, we take people in long-term recovery and, and so into them professionally and personally and, and, um, you know, equip them and empower them to, um, fight alongside us, you know, awesome. and, and yeah, it's a pretty good gig. And recently, um, I, I will be transitioning out of that role. Um, and we were chatting briefly before we started recording I'll be working for refocus recovery, um, here in August. And um, kind of got hired on to develop and implement some peer recovery-based um, uh, integra- uh, re-entry programs for the Minnesota Department of Corrections and Community Corrections. And so I, I feel like the service, it really is surgical in a way, right? Like. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm, I'm happy to be able to um, use my lived experience and my expertise, essentially help anybody crawl out of the hole that I was in. You know, when you look at it that way, it gets down to a really simple equation, right? It's like, True. I was there, I'm here, I see you there. When you stick your hand out and you're ready, I will help you get from there to here. Yeah. And it, it, it really only goes down to that, you know? So. And and it's like you said, you know, there's gaps and you know where they are. And it's like when you see a need, it's your responsibility to fill it because you might be the only one that does. Right. And, and, you know, it really boils down to just trying to be the person for other people that you wish you had, you know, when yeah. you were going through it. Golden rule, right? Right. Try to be the change you want to see in the world, yeah, man. I like that. It's so awesome. Yeah, and then you did you used to work for uh, Minnesota Adult yeah. Teen Challenge for a time, too. That's right. Yep, I did. When I first got sober, um, I was I went through Minnesota Adult Teen Challenge as a uh, sentence. Uh, I was sentenced to there. Um, and I mean, I had the opportunity to be sentenced there, right? Downward dispositional. With conditions, you know, in 2014, I got pinched on some pretty serious possession and trafficking charges for meth. I think, again, like a lot of a lot of our listeners are in that spot. And so um, I was fortunate to be able to have a public defender who was actually really good at her job and actually really cared about what happened to me, even though I barely cared myself, frankly. Right. Um, and she advocated for me for what what I needed, and I, I didn't even I didn't have the bandwidth or capacity to really appreciate her efforts then. But we're still friends to this day, eight years later. So, but yeah, awesome. I went through Teen Challenge. I struggled. Um, it was the most difficult thing I ever did in my life. Period. And mm-hmm. um, when I came out, I was offered an internship. Um, in the men's short-term department and I worked there for two years and uh, got moved into a leadership position before I moved to the private sector. Yeah. So. And it, it was awesome seeing you work there to come donate clothes. I'm like, what? I'm not, I'm not dropping them off unless you're working when you work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was so tight. 
Uh, finally, for our intro segment, uh, what does recovery mean to you? That's a more loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> um, what does it mean to me? It means um, consistency, stability. Mm. It means I have an opportunity to live a life um, that I just very honestly never thought I was worth to live. Never, never thought I would be a person of integrity. You know, like I just thought I was going to be this white trash piece of my whole life. And that's what I was told my whole life. That's what I believed. And, you know, on, um, unfortunately for the enemy, that's, that's a complete lie. It couldn't be further from the truth. So what it means to me is life, you know, mm-hmm. a life, life well lived. So, Amen. Ooh, I got goosebumps, bro. Dude, me too. <laughs> same, yeah. same time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Might might have got a little misty too on that one, yeah. dude. Because I've been watching, you know, from afar. We don't talk much, but you know, it's been a beautiful thing to see you, you know, find your soulmate and yeah. and and make an honest woman out of her, and then you know, pop out first kid, and then now you just got another kid. And, and and you know we're gonna talk more about all that yeah so i don't want to ruin it for anyone but it's just been cool dude to see so definitely life you know a life i didn't know i a life that i used to look at other people live and think that that stuff's not in the cards for me i'll never have yeah uh, i'll never have my home uh deed to a home i'll never have a vehicle in my name that's worth more than a thousand dollars straight cash <laughs> you know i'll never uh i'll never have stability you know yeah. i never and I, it's one of my favorite things to say to people especially new guys when i'm sponsoring and stuff i'm like can't is a real c word because that's all i ever told myself yeah can't i like that can't yeah you know and it keeps you stuck you know isn't it gross when you're first learning like when you're first taking your first few steps on here where you're like you have to spend just as much energy (laughs) convincing yourself why you are worth the efforts you're about to embark on than it is to stay sober that just sucks man i hated that part about new recovery i'm like you know because it's much easier to believe the lie that you've been told your whole life you know there's something really comforting about that place where there's no responsibility there's no intention. You're just essentially a, a pinball living off of other people's inertia, Not you know. Sure. But but the real real forward movement in recovery begins when you find the strength to to um, move past the lie and start looking around for yourself about what life should look like, you know. Mm-hmm. And and very honestly, asking higher power and in my case, you know, Christ, where am I supposed to go and how how can I get there? Help me. Love that. Welcome, Way Out faithful and first-timers, to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple, to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out Podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free 
anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Listen up, everyone. Certified and professional recovery coaching is now available by going to wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. We want to help you and those you know who want help in building a strong, rewarding, and enduring recovery. Let our recovery experience and training enhance and strengthen your recovery by visiting wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. Finally, a word of caution, this podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this edition of The Way Out, our tremendous recovery podcast co-host Jason catches up with an old friend who's had a remarkable journey to and through recovery to this point, Tony Byrne. Tony shares his emotional story and the great work that he's currently doing in the criminal justice system, working to fill the current gaps in our criminal justice system and to be a pioneer in the peer support movement in the state of Minnesota. Tony is super relatable and a true pleasure to listen to, and his inspiring story just may have you in varieties of tears. We're talking goosebumps, folks, so do make sure you listen up. Hey, what's up, everybody out there in Way Out Podcast Land? I'm your trusty co-host, Jason. I'm here again, and I got an old buddy way from back in the day, Tony Byrne. What's up, brother? Hey, man. How are you? Oh, fuck. I am so good. I'm so good. I'm so good. Same. Me too. And uh, I know you are, man. Tony and me, we've known each other for a long time. Yep. And, uh you know simple really crazy how similar our paths were even though we weren't uh walking them together for many years uh but here we are you know striving and thriving in recovery living the dream you know we're living lives that we never even thought were possible (laughs) in a million years no (laughs) i never thought it so I'm just like, wow. And it's so grateful to be able to do something like this with you, man. And I, I agree. I appreciate it too. Cause this isn't just for the listeners to get some awesome hope and some like nuggets of wisdom, you know, that's great, but whatever 
this is even cooler because we get to catch up yeah. we get to connect and talk some good recovery and and yeah. uh <clears throat> you know relate to one another in our in our journeys and that's the magic that yeah. keeps us clean so <clears throat> I, don't, I don't i've been stoked for this dude yeah me too and i'm sorry i had to reschedule the last time that's um, right. i'm pretty sure uh i think it was was it COVID or something i don't even remember but i i'm grateful we got an opportunity to get back together you know? oh for sure we're so, making it happen we i'd said that i was like <laughs> we're, we're making it happen don't yeah, even think for a happening. second <laughs> like what does it say i know you know Hard my French, you guys, but I speak movie quote. And then the Big Lebowski is like, nothing is fucked here, dude. Nothing is fucked. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we yeah. got it. We fixed it. <clears throat> All right. Cool. So, Tony, why don't you take a brief moment to introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, you know, maybe share, you know, how long you've been clean and, and uh, what, you know, just share some stuff about yourself yeah. briefly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So I've been clean now coming up on eight years. Um, it's funny. I was just talking my, uh, to um, um, a buddy of mine about, you know, clean time counters and keeping track of time and stuff. And I, I, I remember those times when I hit the three months and I hit the six months and the, and the one year, and I remember at that one year mark, I was like, what is actually happening? Like, <laughs> I have nice. not been sober, unincarcerated, well, not even incarcerated, frankly, but I haven't been sober that long since since I was like 12 or 13, you know what I mean? And so, like, yeah. it's difficult to even remember what, what it looks like uh, to have sobriety when you're that fresh in it. And so... Well, my first uh, year of sobriety was really, really difficult, man. I, I never experienced the pink cloud. You know, I went through Teen Challenge. I think many of our listeners know um, what that place is. That's where junkies go to <laughs> wrap it up, man. You know what I mean? Like that, that program, I was just uh, basically say this. If you do a program like that the right way, I don't know if right's the right word, but properly you, you crawl in and you crawl out, you know? And I, I try to give that advice to anybody who's about to go through residential, like, man, take whatever time you have there. Don't use it as a spin dry, crawl in, crawl out. You know what I mean? And so work your ass off. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You got it. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, aside from that, on a personal note, I, I, uh, I have a beautiful wife, um, who uh, she actually works for Teen Challenge. She's a mental health professional there, a therapist. And, oh, awesome. Um, you know, I, I mentioned this before, but it was, I think, one of the great blessings um, of my recovery is I was able to find my person, and she fills all the gaps that I didn't even know existed in my life. You know, you go through life, especially in recovery, and you think, man, I'm just getting more and more solid by the day. And then you meet a woman like that who's like, hey, here's some more places you got work to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know how and then and and if if you if your head and heart is in the right space, you you understand what a blessing that is, man. So yeah. um, we've been together five years. We have two beautiful children together. Um, we own a home and 
Um, and then I have an 18 year old from my previous marriage who um, just recently moved in um, to our home to attend college here in Minneapolis. And uh, I'm telling you, uh, I have been praying for that since before I believed in God. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. And so I, um, when, when that happened, that was, that was a damn good day for me. Amen. That was, uh, oh man, I don't even, I don't even have the words. And so my, all my kids are under the same roof and I'm able to provide with integrity. And so that's all there is to that. You know, I don't know if you can hear my baby crying downstairs. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We can hear <laughs> she's making some ruckus. Yeah. She just wanted that. to be on the radio, you know? Yeah. She's getting, re- she's getting ready to, you know, so uh, dude. anyways, what a what an awesome turn of events for your life yeah. to be able to have that occur and have all your children under the same roof yeah. living with you as their provider, not with yeah. you, not with you doing supervised visits, you know, right. you know, or no visits at all. Right. You know, I mean, wonder, there was a point in time when I was too dangerous to be around. Yeah. You know, wondering where, where's daddy at? When's daddy going to come? Yeah. Yep. And that was, I'm all too familiar with having to live with yeah. that. Yeah. So it's pretty awesome when you not only can achieve that, yeah. but you're in a place where you know you can handle that, right? Yeah. I think and it's funny because we and, might want it a long yeah. time ago. We wanted it, but I would have been terrified, right? Like totally yeah. uh, not That's sure. That's really funny. That's funny you say that because I was just thinking about um, – you know, we have these um, benchmarks in our addiction and our recovery. And I, I feel like one of the great, again, privileges and blessings that I have received in recovery is that I made it out of addiction with the ability to, like, enjoy beauty, right, to, um, to really find value and in introspection and be able to kind of follow it all the way back to, you know, its source. And I... I remember one time my ex-wife put a post up on Facebook. This is like 2012, 2013, somewhere in there when it was a picture of my daughter. She was like nine at the time. And she had a picture that said it was a picture of me and her, like child's picture. And underneath um, the caption said, we are, we are, looking for any information on the whereabouts of Tony Byrne. He's been missing for X amount of time, a couple of years at that point. His daughter is concerned um, about his well-being and safety, and she just needs to hear his voice. If anybody has any information on how to reach him. And, and I, I saw that post, Jason. I saw it as soon as it dropped out. And I remember being so selfish and being like, taking that unbelievably I can't even imagine how hard that was for my ex-wife to put that post up you know it ain't like I was good to her she she (laughs) she had every reason but that's you know good people right and so I remember thinking to myself like oh I can't believe you know like 
it was all like, oh, I'm such a piece of shit. I, 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 me, me, me. And it's, it, it had nothing to do with anything but my own pride and, 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 right. you know, ego. And so, um, I, 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 I remember that. And I, I, I post that every single year on that date. I repost it to remind myself of, you know, when, um, one aspect of a really healthy recovery is to understand your role in a family unit and then, and then just be there and be present and, Mm -hmm. and not make it about you, you know? Anyways, I'm I'm grateful. I learned that skill, man. And it's still, (laughs) it's still one that I'm, you know, I don't do it perfect, but bro, I'll tell you what, there was a point when with my ex-wife that I did not think there was any chance that we could ever get to a place where there was any kind of mutual respect anymore. I felt like I had shattered it. I destroyed it beyond all recognition. And she, um, you know, she treated me as such for a while, you know, and I mean, I was doing pretty good in recovery for quite a while before she started to come around, uh, you know and change in that respect but today man we have a beautiful co-parenting relationship i'm cool with her husband we're you know we actually just went to milwaukee a couple weeks ago um me and my girlfriend's seven-year-old daughter went out to milwaukee and met up with my ex-wife and her husband and and my youngest son wyatt and we went and saw Dude Perfect at the Fizzer Forum out there in Milwaukee. Cool. Yeah, dude, and stayed in That's the same hotel. Cool. We had yeah. we broke bread in the morning and had breakfast, and it it's just like what? It's I when my daughter moved in, um, I you know I I still talk to her mom pretty regularly, just about parent co-parenting stuff um she's been remarried for a long time uh her and her husband were here all day in my house um helping fia get her room set up and you know she's an interior designer so she was helping fia and my daughter's (laughs) fia and so like we're all in the same roof and there wasn't awkward not even a little bit right not at all it was it was very cool i mean obviously you know, we're not best friends or anything, but I think there's um, not only a mutual respect, but a mutual appreciation for, you know, and I'm really grateful for her that she found her person too, you know, like, like, man, she deserved, she was, you know, a good person and I put her through it. And um, yeah, anyways, there's your kid. (laughs) His name's Ernie. He's like, he's been trying to jump on my lap for 20 minutes, but Usually they go straight for the keyboard when you're on the computer. So yeah, here he comes oh, too. <laughs> but no, yeah. And then you think about it too. Like, obviously, that's your ex-wife or just significant other. That you know, there at some point was a a, a love and an adoration. Yeah. You know, a genuine care and compassion there, and the rifts that can get caused by our behavior. you know as much as they may seem to be like irreparable they're not like feelings aren't facts nothing is black and white and i love that feelings aren't facts 
time. Man, say that again for people in the back. Yep. <laughs> Feelings aren't facts, you guys. Time and consistency in recovery are your only friend. If you want good things to come to you, you got to keep putting out good in the world. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's that way for other people, you know, like only God can change a person's heart. Yeah. Uh, time and consistency is all that you need because, you know, drop the feelings of entitlement. Don't build up more resentments because they're not showing you the respect you deserve because you're doing so good. And you got, you know, like 90 right. days clean. No, dude, that's what the group's for. That's what the yeah. fellowship is for. You need to build a community around yourself that, you know, we're all fighting the same struggle. So we can celebrate every little victory with one another and really uh, honor and acknowledge those things. But to the rest of the world that you hurt, you're just another junkie that should have got your shit together a long time ago. Yeah. You know, you know, what's really interesting is that um, I. I was one of those people, right, where I'm like. Six months into Teen Challenge. Now, keep in mind, I hadn't even been sentenced at that time. I mean, I was like in like 100 months, you know, and I was, uh, you know, I don't know if I ever really experienced that pink cloud, but I definitely had some um, some pride, you know, because I wasn't a Christian um, when I when I first got clean. Like I have foreign gods tattooed on my body, man. You know what I mean? So like, um, but when I when I did find the hope and, and joy of the Lord, man. And, and I got about six months in and I was like, my mom lives three miles away and she'd only come to see me one time and she bitched me out, you know? And then she came back shortly thereafter and she brought me some clothes from my brother that I don't know, whatever. He just gave me some clothes and you know, my mom's a G dude. She's, <laughs> she's no joke. She's standing in the lobby looking around and she said, you know what? If you weren't such a fuck up, we wouldn't have to be standing in a place like this. And I was like, you, you're right. You know, and um, it's dude, I hadn't been allowed at my mom's house for like three years, probably prior to my sobriety. And very honestly, I wasn't I mean, I. It, it wasn't until I was over two years clean that I was able to crash at my mom's house. You know, and I, I mean, I remember that day super clearly and I never asked that's not my space, man. I totally earned that. You know what I mean? That ban <laughs> from the property. Yeah. Um, and so um, and now, you know, my mom um, is like, hey, I really want you to handle my end of life care when that time comes and my finances and like think about that i wasn't even allowed she would have called the cops just to be on the property and um and within the span of not not even a full decade um she trusts me enough to handle her end of life care when it comes you know that's just it's just mind-blowing to me man you know and it's things like that where i'm like how come I, i just like how could somebody not believe in god when they see things like that, you know, that's a Amen. miracle, bro. It's a Amen. miracle. Amen. It is a miracle. <clears throat> Anyways. No, I, I feel you, dude. Like I, I, I feel you, but you know, with my family is similar where my sister wouldn't bring my cousin or my nephew over 
that was before she had my my uh newest nephew henry but she 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 was like you know how am i i can't i can't bring the kids here we can't right. come here anymore you know because i was living at mom's and mom would not quit believing in me you know but i was yeah. but then she she too i think would kind of turn a blind eye yeah and like that was how she was able to pull that off i think because you know she didn't want to cast out her baby boy i'm her firstborn right. but i'm like <laughs> over there just completely taking advantage of that you know right and uh i remember getting pissed you know when my sister said that like yeah like what i would never put my nephews in danger blah 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 she's like you don't know who you might piss off who might show yeah. up here when we're there you might get too high and forget that there's an uncapped rig underneath the dresser you know and my kid finds it when they're crawling around on the floor and right. oh i just i literally was like just stop just stop because i i didn't want to hear anymore no. because i think it's like part of me knew that that was true i think but i was just like my natural response was to reject that thought reject like give me a break i am not the devil that you think i am blah 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 yeah you are dude did Um, you did you ever find in those situations where you like fought so vehemently against what we know now to just be simple truth right like she had every right to say that my mm-hmm. mom had every right to keep me away from her property because I was dangerous, man. And the people we both hung out with were super scary yeah. and, and unpredictable. But like, did you ever find that, y- you know, you, you argue and argue and argue and then they put their foot down and they say, no, hell no, you're not coming here. And then you walk away with some sort of like wounded victim. Yep. Like, every foot, time. but like secretly you were super grateful that they put their foot down because you're like, I couldn't, I couldn't like, I couldn't, I'm not even the person I was just arguing and pretending to be right. <laughs> like, like I will walk away. I will do dope around my family. Like, yep. and then and half the time, that makes sense, you know, and, and I'd be like, well, now I don't have to worry about it next time. I'm too high because yes. there's already been, 20 other times that I had to come up with some random ass lame excuse to flake out the last second because I told myself I wasn't going to get too high or I wasn't going to use that day because I knew it was coming. And now here it is. I'm supposed to leave to go over there in an hour and I'm fucked up. Yeah. You know, like I can't show up like this. Uh, Or if I could only get my hands on this substance so I could bring myself back down a little bit, then I'd probably seem okay. Or how can I make it okay? <laughs> Dude, it's a lot of stress when you're trying yeah. to manage and manipulate and control <laughs> yeah. your yeah. literal physical and psychological state uh, right. with substances. I was always a walking pharmacy. I always yeah. had to had the antidote or the remedy if mm-hmm. I got too high or too low or too far yep. over this way <laughs> two sideways <laughs> i don't miss those days at all bro hell no you know like <laughs> now i'm like oh uh substances i shouldn't drink coffee after 4 p.m oh that's, shit. 
pretty much all I, I don't even smoke squares anymore, you know? Yeah, I quit uh, four, over four months ago. Good for you, dude. I know that was a big deal for you, man. A it was big hard deal. as hell. Dude, was that was, hell. I'm going to say this right now for all your listeners. I'm sure everybody knows what I'm talking about, but quitting cigarettes was more difficult than quitting a 20-year meth addiction. Yeah. Hands down. Dude, right. I almost went to prison for cigarettes, man. Okay, so I'll tell you a funny story. This is super dumb. Okay, uh, okay so I was uh, Teen Challenges Zero uh, Nicotine, period. Yeah. And right. and they, um, the prosecuting attorney out of the, my county of origin had said, look, I'm reluctantly going to approve this furlough, okay? Reluctantly, because I think you're going to fuck up anyways. And so it doesn't really cost me anything to watch you fuck up. Then I'll just have more proof that I should send you to prison. eh? okay. Now, <laughs> um, so one thing he said was to the people at Teen Challenge was they he wanted weekly updates on behavior, patterns, progress, steps backwards, all of the things. Okay, um, I unbeknownst to me, I didn't know that, and um, <laughs> and and so. Um, you know, the Teen Challenge in Rochester had uh, individual bathrooms, right? And so they had these air intakes um, up on the ceiling. And so <laughs> we would stand up there, crouched, blowing on the toilet, blowing smoke up into that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so, you know, smuggling cigarettes in, all the things, right? And so yeah. <laughs> there was this, there was this um, staff member there. Man, he just, uh, in retrospect, I don't know. We just hated him. He hated us. And, you know, he, he used to be, he used to be a cop. Like he was just, we did not jive and, and he used to mess with us all the time. And he'd say, I'm going to get you guys much. I'm going to get you. Cause I, I was in there with a bunch of the homies, you know? And so one time uh, he came in and uh, he, he caught me, man. I was standing on the toilet in my underwear uh, about to get about to jump in the shower and I'm smoking this square, blowing it up, and I'm caught, <laughs> bro, caught out. And he just starts laughing. And he said, You know what? If you were really a gangster, you'd be out there on that porch smoking that cigarette, not in here smoking it like a bitch. And I was like, Motherfucker, you know, uh-huh. foot went in the toilet, all that. Um, and they sat me down and said, Here's the here's the deal. You have one opportunity to to do this the right way now we've already caught you smoking like five times we don't have any more privileges to take from you and if you if you do this again uh you're going back to jail and they said to help you we're going to transition you from the short-term program to the long-term program and in that transition i had like four hours to sit in this little room in the lobby by myself and think and i was like do I really want to go to prison for over a hundred months for some fucking cigarettes, dude? Right. I mean, is that where my life is right now? Like, uh, and, and, and I said, no, I'm done now. And I literally have not smoked a cigarette since then. Not one. And I mean, I smoke cigars when I fish once in a while, but maybe once or twice a year, but like, um, and it sucked, you know, it sucked ass for like a month. I was just yeah. terrible mood, couldn't sleep. <laughs> you know, it was awful. But I, I, I yeah, I. Could you imagine going to prison for cigarettes? No, 
I don't know. I mean, kind of. <laughs> I kind of could, actually. Yeah. It yeah. sounds like some stupid shit I would do. And yeah. that's why I was so blown away, dude, that I was able to do this. Because yeah. uh, we had, like, the same sentence, like, 98 mm-hmm. months or something. And they didn't send me to prison, but they gave me 20 years probation. They yeah. put the time over my head. Yep. And I'm still on paper for it, really? actually, to this day. Yeah. They gave me 40 years <laughs> probation. <laughs> 40, 40. Uh, and then um, and then they they hung 68 over my head. But, um, you know, again, the promise is coming true, man. You make these efforts in the recovery world and in, in, in the service world, and, and people notice what you're doing. So I was, I have a friend who she is a boss and she knows everybody. She's really um, kind of a um, integral part in developing legislation that helps the recovery world move forward in in the state. And she reached out to a friend of hers who was the, at the time, the director of Dodge Fillmore Olmstead community corrections. And she said, uh, Hey, we got to get this guy off of probation. This is dumb. Um, because he's going to be on till he's 76. You know, they changed the laws after we got sentenced, bro. You know, and so, um, when, when she gave him my phone number, he called me. And through the course of the conversation, he said, How come you haven't tried to get off probation early? And I said, I already got the blessing, man. Right. I'm not in prison. This is, this is, this is what I owe. And so if this inconvenience to me is the cost of my freedom and the ability to be the person I never thought I would be, well, why would I ask to get off early? Right. Why would I, you know, you're taking personal responsibility. Yeah. And it's interesting. We had a conversation about that after that, about what does personal advocacy look like? Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, one of the biggest problems he sees as a professional on the other side of the recovery equation, right? So I'm the person in recovery. He's the person serving the recovery community in a professional fashion. He said, man, it's just like, it's like the the ability to speak well of yourself without ego is like basically non-existent. Yeah. And he's like, I just run into this time after time of these amazing people who should be able to come to the authority and say like, Hey, what, why, you know, can I be done early? And I'm like, but that's counter to a lot of the teachings in the recovery world, right? Where you're talking about humility and integrity and self-awareness and all of those things that make us the people we are today. Like, so yeah, it's interesting. After Mm -hmm. that, I've been really on a journey of figuring out how to teach my peers and people that I mentor, like the the value and self advocacy, you know. Yeah. Um, so, because I believe, man, honestly, if people like the director, I'm, I'm not going to say his name, right? If he if he teaches his people from the top down, compassion, understanding, empathy, and we teach ourselves from the bottom up what it looks like to be people of not only integrity, but advocacy to know our worth, truly know our worth and, and, Mm -hmm. and know the strength of, of um, asking for something that is appropriate, completely appropriate. If we can change those two 
like wavelengths and meet in the middle and think about think about what the recovery world and the criminal justice world looks like after that right i mean i i get very excited about and that's a huge part of the reason why i choose to work in this industry is i want to be part of that change you know absolutely so Sorry, I got a little on my soapbox there. No, I love it. And that's what we're here to do, man. This yeah. isn't just about, you know, let's hear Tony's story. Let's hear about, yeah. you know, all that. But we, you know, we want to talk about those pertinent issues, man, especially yeah. to us, to our listeners. I mean, I'm sure, uh, you know, the collective always blows my mind because you never know who's sitting across the table from me or who's on the right. other other end of this transmission, you know, who's listening in their car yeah. or, and and where they come from. And like people might hear this that are in the same realm, you know, yeah. and maybe in other places. And you yeah. know, this could create a ripple effect uh when we discuss those things on here. So yeah. You you just never know because God works in mysterious ways, Amen. man. He takes it and he does his thing. And I'm I just love that about it. You know, it's like as long as we can have the courage to speak and, and recover out loud, um, to to stand up for what we believe, to try to make those changes where we see those needs, it it all even even if it doesn't work out that when we try it you may inspire like a whole nother group of people to start looking into that, who bring their own fresh perspectives and who can pull it off. Amen. I like that. It's so cool. Yeah. So it's just planting seeds, seeds, bro. (laughs) Never underestimate the power. Yeah. Just planting seeds, bro. Oh yeah. So let's, uh, let's change shift gears here. Want to hear a little bit about, family of origin stuff so let's hear about little tony yeah so i mean i grew up um kind of all over the midwest um my 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 parents were very shortly married uh enough time to kind of create me and my brother his name is ben Um, (laughs) uh, yeah well you know uh, (laughs) so um, i thought the stork did my my <laughs> my parents both uh really struggled um my mom really struggled with trauma she had just a poor shit upbringing um you know my grandmother is alcoholic like just tons of mental health issues and um she did you know god bless my mom she did exactly what she could with what she had but my dad, um, you know, he was a really, really bad dude. And he, you know, he just, and I, I don't know, man, you know, his family, my, my, my dad's family, my family, I guess, you know, they have their issues and stuff, but him in particular, he just, you know, he didn't have a problem beating the shit out of kids and women. And he didn't mind, you know, he was a, a sexual abuser and, um, you know, uh, he just was a very, very, the thing is he was one of the smartest people I knew. He passed away a handful of years ago, um, three years ago now, but he was literally one of the smartest people I've ever met. And I met a lot of smart people now in my life, you know, 
And this dude used to play chess against three people at the same time and just beat the brakes off them, you know, with the right type of empowerment and encouragement. I truly think that he could have been one of the people that provided um, significance to the world. You know what I mean? Like, um, but he didn't, he went the other way. He was a drunk and, um, and, you know, I don't, I don't have any ill will towards him. I can't, can't be the person I am today with that in my heart, you know, but he definitely made our lives a thousand times worse than, than they needed to be. And so right from the jump, you know, um, my brother and I both were kind of behind the eight ball with um, sexual trauma issues and physical abuse and mental abuse. And, you know, after they got divorced, my mom kind of, hopped around to wherever she could. And so we were always basically in abject poverty and all the things that go along with it, you know? Um, and I, it's funny. I oftentimes say currently, I'll say, man, I feel younger than I ever have in my whole life as a 43 year old. And, and if I ever expound on that, I often say that includes when I was a kid, you know? Um, right. I didn't, you know what I'm saying? I and feel so, that. I feel that in my, you know, in my soul, dude. Yeah, bro. And I think a lot of listeners do too, right? Where, you know, it's drugs and alcohol are never the issue, man. They're an answer to already existing problems. And, and frankly, a pretty damn good answer for the short term. You know, I think about the homie Nate dog, man, that guy. Yeah. Well, I don't, you, you already know. Um, so, but so anyways, back to that, we, we just had a really tough life and it was full of violence and uncertainty and poverty. And, you know, there were some bright spots. My mom, she, God bless her. She, like I said, she tried and, and I'll always be grateful to her for that. But I, I got wild, man. And when I was 12, I hurt somebody really, really badly. Um, I, I got a, uh, like a first degree assault charge. Um, I, I was so full of anger and uh, like, it's really, it's really a powerful thing to have adult sized anger in a child sized body, the reactions and, and no, like no emotional regulation, puberty, all the things. And it all just exploded out of me. And I hurt somebody really badly, dude. And, um, I ended up getting, um, you know, that super serious charge and I ended up having to um, um, go live with my aunt and uncle in Chicago um, because my mom couldn't take care of me anymore. Um, and I didn't, they had me in all this crazy therapy for years and living in Illinois just made it worse. You know, yeah. they put, they put me in boxing to try to mm. temper, temper my, anger and teach me some discipline and all it did was make me a badass <laughs> you know and uh i completely uh kind of dived into that persona you know um and yeah. eventually they had to send me back on a bus from illinois to minnesota and when i got here i think it was a couple weeks three weeks maybe a month before my 18th birthday and showed up at my mom's house and she had already talked to my aunt and my aunt told her everything I've been doing. And she opened the door and said, you can't live here. Don't come around here. And so, 
you know, that was June and I had about six months to get my money in order. So I didn't freeze to death and I actually ended up being homeless for a couple of years um, back then and learned some pretty significant skills, met a lot of really dark people. My addiction started getting pretty weird. You know, all the hallucinogenics and raves back in the nine, late 90s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, I just, I don't know, man. It was like I was in and out of jail after I turned 18 for years. And, um, you know, I, I met my kid's mom. I, I eventually ended up moving to kind of get my, you know, that saying, right? Wherever you go, there you are. But, also, like, I do believe that there is some value to being around people who can't get you fucked up all day, every day, you know? Yeah. And so I moved to the other end of the state, northern Minnesota, and I met my kid's mom there. And that was the most stable, I guess, at that point. But I was still drinking, like, four nights a week, smoking weed, taking pills. Um, we ended up getting pregnant and uh, kind of try to do the right thing you know and uh um and she she was we were kids man you know what i mean we were kids playing house and so we ended up stupidly moving back down to southern minnesota and i mean i held it together for a couple of years three four years until that marriage rightfully fell apart Obviously, there was a lot on both sides. It was just a super ugly situation. And um, at that point, I had my dad had kind of reentered my life a few years prior to this. And, you know, he needed a place to stay because he was coming down to Mayo Clinic to uh, do some stuff for his kidney. He was he was really sick. And basically, they gave him a whole this is back in the day when there was no regulation on oxys and they just give you unlimited scripts and yeah. you know i had a headache one day and migraine and he's like here take this and he gave me a methadone pill 25 mil Ooh -wee! off to the races after that dude i mean my dad became my pill dealer although i was ripping him off because he was stupid <laughs> <laughs> you know um but yeah i mean he was he became my pill dealer and i when I switched over to methadone, I was doing four eighties a day, you know, just to yeah. kind of get up and get going. And that's before heroin was really popular or available, certainly before fentanyl. So I, I thank God for that every day because I would have been, I would have been done for back then, dude, yeah. done for. And so, um, so yeah, I switched over to methadone and uh benzos clocked out for a couple of years <laughs> yeah. i don't really remember to be honest with you i like how uh, you put that i mean <laughs> it's like well <laughs> i i wish i could say that there was something significant that happened but i lived in a grh house for two years and hustled enough to you know um to kind of get in between my scripts and just on a side note it will never ever ever cease to amaze me how absolutely easy it is to be completely fucked up on the government's time every single day and not have any money 
like I was on 180 milligram dose of methadone every day, you know, and they gave me, uh, uh, what is that? 1.5 milligrams annex 30 a month. Like, dude, <laughs> no need to even hustle. It's all free, you know? It's, so that's a side note. Um, but you know, after those couple of years, I, I was kind of dating this chick and she was, a, I met her at the methadone clinic, uh, yeah. just a PSA listeners, <laughs> probably never a good idea to find the love of your life at a methadone clinic. So <laughs> just some free advice. <laughs> Dude, the, the guy told me once, he's like, you don't go fishing in a toilet bowl. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> I was so, like, Oh shit. I get what you're saying. <laughs> like, Oh, I've known you for a year and I've never seen you out of pajama pants. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah so anyways um Uh. you know we moved in together and it got really ugly and Mm. you know at that time i was kind of at a crossroads i had kind of um weaned off of methadone because even even my junky ass realized that boy that's a dark spot man uh you know and so i had them wean me down the last 20 milligrams or whatever uh i just jumped on the meth trains some of the homies from back in the day so you know all this time right i've known you know i have some i have some connections to a world that is very serious and full of hate and you know these guys are no joke they these dudes are you know they're my cousin's people but whatever uh, one of them reached out. He had a shitload of dope uh, meth that he was trying. And he, he, it was, that was back in 2010 or whatever, 2011, where like the market was so flooded, you had to basically give the shit away, you know? And it was just fire dope back then. So he reached out to me and said, you know, I need somebody to help me move this stuff. And I was like, I love money. And also, I love flailing, so let's <laughs> let's do it. Um, and I got, I got. Uh, turns out, I mean, I had sold drugs off and on, like every, like most people have here and there. But I was never actually a dope boy until I connected with these dudes, and this guy was the plug for a while. Um, and then you know he went his way, and I'm met some other people from Southern Minnesota that were all affiliated and, um, and it was a, it was a pretty busy four or five years after that, bro. Like, you know, we were, we were, we were really doing it. I mean, it's so funny, you know, you tell people who don't have access to that type of weight or that type of world or those types of people and that type of money, you tell them what a day-to-day looked like, and it's like, I don't even bother anymore, man, because people are like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. but, but it's real, and it's actually not that difficult to access, you know? Right. You right. just have to have a complete lack of morals and, and, you know, be fearless, and if you're that person, there's all kinds of people willing to let you string yourself out, you know? Yep. But, um, yeah, man, I rode with those dudes for four or five years, Um and then we all got pinched in 2014. Um, they had been building a case for about a year. Um, 
and 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 I just it's so interesting, man. When my lawyer told me that she secured me a place in Teen Challenge, like they had just opened the Teen Challenge in Rochester back then. They wanted people like us to be the poster. They wanted success stories so that they can they could market it better. Yeah. I mean, look, it is a business, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like so you know, the judge agreed and I said, "Let me get this straight. You're going to let me out of jail to go to treatment." I mean, I got like 26 grand on the street right now that I could go pick up and just get back to work and the doors right. aren't locked, run it, you know? Um, uh, but the thing is, man, when I got there to team challenge there, I, I have never been so tired in my life, bro. And I, I was down to about 160 pounds. Yeah. Man, the last time I saw my mom, she was like, are you dying? Do you have cancer? She was dead serious too. Right. I mean, uh, I still have my picture, my intake picture. It looks like my head's a orange on a toothpick, bro. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I mean, I remember sitting there and, and there's dudes in there. Like I said, I was in there with some of the homies, man. They furloughed a bunch of people. And, um, you know, there's dudes running every day. And I just, I, I don't, I didn't believe in God back then, but I know what it was, man. I, I think a, a blessing to me is to be able to look back on my life and see all the moments where God was moving directly to, to alter the path of my life for the better. Um, and I didn't even believe in him. Now, how, how yeah. amazing is that? Yeah. How amazing is that? And so this was one of those times where I was just overcome with a, I just, I was just, I was, I was done, man. And I was like, I don't, I didn't even know what to do, you know? And, 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 and short day by day, as you know, at the very start, it could be minute by minute, you know? Right. Um, and, and I was introduced to some, some, some people that, spoken in my life in a way that I heard that I've never heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's interesting. So I'll tell you an aside the, um, for anybody who's ever been locked up and let out into a yard, you just basically walk circles. You know what I mean? Especially if you're in County, you just walk circles in that yard to get some fresh air, read a book, whatever. And I was still in that mindset, and there was this little patio outside of one of the wings of Teen Challenge down there in Rochester, and I would just walk circles during our free time. Mm. I didn't really want to talk to people. I was super pissed off. I was confused. Why am I still here? Why haven't I run yet? Right? Yeah. Um, um, And so, long story short, the, the courtyard where I paced, was adjacent to the director's window so for weeks on end he would watch me struggle out there he'd watch my face because i didn't think anybody was looking so i could let the guard down a little bit you know and uh, you remember that funny story i told you about you know the um the cigarette getting caught with the cigarettes yeah so here's here's where it becomes beautiful okay i get caught they have this big meeting 
the prosecuting attorney that told me, I know you're going to fuck up. He was part of that meeting. And the director, his name is Tom Trzinski. He is now, thank God, the, the overall director of all the teen challenges in Minnesota. He is a good, good man. I Keep in mind, Jason, I've never spoken to this guy in person, not one time. But he watched me for weeks out there, and he saw my body language. He saw my face, all of those things. He saw my internal struggle, and he was in that meeting, and he said, no, I'll vouch for him. I think we should let him stay because here's what I've observed. And I, I didn't even know he did that. And right after that, I made the decision to come to know the Lord. I made the decision to to, to try as hard as I can to be this person that I never thought I could be. Right. And all the while this guy's vouching for me now, funnily, oddly enough, he married me and my wife. <laughs> he was awesome. the pastor that married us. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, so anyways, man, you can't make I, this stuff up. No, you really can't, you know? And, and so, you know, mm. I, I, I started experiencing some restoration in my family. My sister went through teen challenge her name's Emma. I love her so much. She went through like a year and a half before me. And, you know, once I got settled in there, uh, she had was work. She was working at Teen Challenge at the time, her and my stepmom. They ended up coming down uh, for every family night and visitation once a week. That's Drove from awesome. Minneapolis uh, and back every week. Brought me what I needed. And they literally loved the hell out of me, bro. Like, they they showed me grace and kindness and they put up with all my gangster shit while I was trying to become a different person and all my lies and all the things. And they just patiently waited until God chipped away all of the concrete around my heart, you know? And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of war stories you know, I ran with these dudes, that dudes, all that stuff is fairly irrelevant at the end of the day because, right. you know, we're talking about, you know, it's important that people know where you come from so they know where you were and, and how you got to where you are, you know? I mean, uh, I've heard a lot of people tell their stories and I'm just like, I, I think there's value in kind of sticking around the past like we talked about before, you know, but I also think there's an equal amount of value in saying, man, like, um, like for me and, you know, all your listeners have different faith systems and belief systems. And, and I love that, you know, but I think for me, this all came to a head when I learned that I can't be the person God wants me to be if I choose to live at the center of the universe, I had to remove myself from the center of the universe, put him at the center of the universe and learn that true humility is, is the action to, to replace the two, you know? And man, after that, it's like, it, it wasn't always easy. I went through a ton of trials in my sobriety, a ton of rejection and, but ultimately, it's like you can only fall back so far if you have that mindset. You can only fall back so far if you have, but you know what I mean? If you have that, that recovery community that 
that you sit down and given other men or women or whoever permission to speak to you any way they want. Like, right. yo, if you see me fucking up, yeah, I, I need you to tell me I see what you're doing. You know what well, I mean? It's, it's that accountability. You know, it's yeah. like as long as you keep showing up <clears throat> yep. for your recovery, whether you feel it or not, whether you, yeah. you know, because how many times you feel like you're spinning your wheels and you ain't getting shit done. You ain't getting anywhere like this shit just sucks and it's like can always yeah. suck and it's just perpetually blows. No, you know, there's going to come a point when you're going to like be able to look back on that time and see how far you actually did get and how how much things did change. It's it's just, you know, like to your point, when when I'm at the center, I'm always focusing on the problems and and I'm focusing on my feelings and how big they are. And that's it, you know, and so I'm, I'm blind to it, but it's, you know, as long as I'm laying my head down at night and I'm clean, I'm showing up for my recovery stuff, Yep. you know, it's like eventually the, the page will turn and it's like, damn, it might not feel like you're doing good because you feel like shit, but you know, right. Sometimes you got to reduce to the simplest of terms, you know, like any day I put my head down and I'm clean is a win. That's a good it, day. Even if right. it was a horrible ass day. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Oh. Yeah. But, and you know, the other thing too, as you mentioned earlier is uh, changing your perspective on um, entitlement. You know, um, I, my, uh, I'll give you a perfect example. My driver's license was canceled IPS, right? Turns out the state of Minnesota doesn't really like when you get multiple DUIs and sell dope out of your car and stuff, yeah. you know? <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. So so they they snatched my license and said, man, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a fairly impossible task for you to get this stuff back. And I, when I, I mean, this is after I was even working at Teen Challenge. I was like, no, I'm going to do this. I bought a car. I fully intended to drive it illegally. Because, like, I deserve that, you know? And I had somebody from that small circle sit down with me and say, this is, if you want to be the person you say you are, this is not how you do this. And you need to just follow the steps and do it how you can. And, bro, I'm going to tell you something. I didn't have a license for the first five years of my recovery. And I did not drive a car once. Uh, that's not true. I, I backed my wife's truck out of the driveway once. Um, and I rode the bus from Minneapolis to St. Paul. I took the bus to get groceries. I mean, it was like, it was really humbling, bro. And I worked diligently to get to the point where I was able to get my license back legally, the right way of, and, and a vehicle was provided to me with a blessing so that when my wife was about to have our baby boy, I was able to pick them up from the hospital. Awesome. And and so what I'm saying is is like God's God's uh, provision came right on time, right? But it right never looks time. like how we want it to, does no, it? No, hell no. It never we does. It now. We want it now and we don't care how. Yeah, bro. <laughs> and I'm trying to get groceries like three bags of groceries home when it's 30 below out and the bus is 20 minutes late. That sucks, man. Yeah. And and it pissed me off every time. But you know what? 
um, I had to have interlock in my car for three years. September 21st of this year is the day I take it out of my car. I got it in my car right now, bro. And I've been clean almost eight years. So, so you get where it's like a long game, you know, we have to focus on, I mean, entitlement is, is a, it's a short, it's short vision, man. It's, it distracts from the longer game. It distracts from the bigger picture. And so, you know, I, I just, I try to keep entitlement out of the equation as much as possible. Obviously it creeps in now and again, but if I ever start saying out loud, like I deserve this or start thinking like, Oh, you know, I, well, you know, I deserve this. I'm owed this. I know I got a course correct and go to the cross and, and be in prayer. And so that's a good indicator for me that um, something's a little sideways, you know, every single time. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) Like I hear what you're preaching, dude. Actually, mm-hmm. so much of what you said and shared about your journey so far has been really resonant for me. I mean, I can remember uh, having my first two children at a very young age. Uh, we had a relationship that was, uh, you know, centered in one way or another around drugs. Yeah. And we, you know, to your point, like, two kids playing house you know we tried to do the right thing i was trying to stay away from the needle and any hard drugs you know but i was i still expected i felt entitled that i should Mm -hmm. be able to have my beer and that once we get the kids laid down uh, at night that i should be able to go out and have you know like a half a bowl or you know smoke some pinchies yeah, and that's all I wanted. That's all I asked, and it was a problem. And I and I, and because it was a problem, I was resentful. And I think because of that, it just continued to build on itself. Uh, you know, add into that some postpartum depression, and then you know, stack on that the fact that I had no idea what the fuck that was. So all I knew is that my love was not being herself. Uh, I tried to make it a narrative in my mind about what that was and what it meant because she wasn't talking when I'd ask. And I came to the conclusion she didn't love me anymore. So mm. I left her and I went off the rails. I, uh, yep. I went off the rails and, you know, self-medicating or whatever. But it was just like crazy. And then that led me to a way million times more toxic relationship. Yeah. Uh, you know, those are fun, it, aren't they? Yeah. Really great. And, uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I actually am going to be going to her celebration of life in a couple of weeks. As a matter of fact, uh, sorry to hear that. Yeah. Me too, man. You know, she never, she, I hate addiction, Jason. Me too. I, I hate it, man. Like she, she never figured it out. Her little sister struggles to this day. She's like 30. Her little sister is like 31. She looks like she's about 60. Yeah. And she's with a man who's about 60. Yeah. Nothing creepy about that. And, uh, you know, it's just like, I remember hearing about kind of an update as it were at Minac this year when I went with my ex-brother-in-law Mac, because he's, actually uh going to college 
uh, right now to get his LADC. He's already working as a, you know, counselor in some capacity uh, and doing it professionally. And he's, you know, just celebrated two years of uh, recovery. Right. And, and we've been able to reconnect and uh, that's awesome, dude. And start to build our, you know, relationship from this side. And dude, he's telling me about them. And this is before we found out that she had passed. Oh man, we're fucking balling in the middle of Olive Garden, bro. Yeah, because I just all the times that we yeah sat there and jammed needles in our bodies together and just did all the things that yeah the crazy things and and I think about uh, there was a time when I was way worse than them. Like I was way worse. Like they were always telling me to check myself. They were always asking me, what the fuck are you thinking? What's wrong with you, Jason? You know? And I was always, you know, the tough guy and I didn't want to hear it and this and that. And then looking back on all that, you know, sitting there at that table in the Olive Garden with my brother, who's just thriving, man. And uh, he's glowing in a way. And, and he's sharing in a way that I've never seen before. You know, we're connecting. Awesome. In, we're connecting in a way that I never knew we could connect ever. You know, and that's so good, dude. Yeah, it was. It was beautiful, uh, but also hard conversation. And yeah, man, I don't miss that life. No, um, I don't. I don't miss it. Not even a little. You know, and <clears throat> it's funny. Um, I. I had this uh, I had this friend in Teen Challenge. Actually, we're still friends to this day. We used to call him Tugboat, but his name's Cody Krause. And um, just one of the most humble, blue-collar, like, servants, you know. just He just had some mental health issues. He's all good now. Still sober, coming up on eight years my, himself, and, and still good friends with him. And uh, But I remember when I first got out of Teen Challenge and I got a phone and I'm talking to him. I went to this ministry school afterwards because I wanted to kind of continue the recovery journey and the faith journey and stuff. And so, yeah, um, I said, man, I'm going to just, uh, I, he, he was sitting next to me. I was pulling all my pictures off my old Facebook. Right. <laughs> and he was like, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm going to start a new Facebook. Cause you know, and he was like, look, why don't you just put a bunch of Jesus on your Facebook and, 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 and whoever sticks around after that, that's probably who you want in your life one way or another. That's really solid advice. And I was like, I said, (laughs) okay, you know? Uh, And so I did. And uh, I mean, obviously I got rid of a lot of friends that I knew were still hustling and, and, uh, and, and praise God. Most of those people have, um, you know, recovered now. And, and, and now we've reconnected and some of them are working at treatment centers and, some of them are just quietly living a, a, a life, uh, you know, and these are ho- terrible people, man, back in the days, terrifying, terrible people that had no limits whatsoever. And now they're living lives uh, of, of not only integrity, but like forgiveness, man, yeah. you know, and they've done all the work. And so, you know, it's it, to your point that reconnection is like, uh, you know, I, not that I go out of my way to look for opportunities 
to engage people from my previous life. Right. Um, but I, but I am always open to it. Um, if it's appropriate. Right. Um, you know, I haven't had anybody ask me for dope for six years, man. It's kind of cool. You know? Yeah. I think it's been like two years for me. (laughs) It was the weirdest shit too. Like (laughs) there was some guy I was in treatment with, uh, one of the treatments that I went to and, I'm like, bro, you you must have missed the memo, dude. I'm like, did you, you know, and I'm, and the funny thing was he looked me up on Facebook. I'm like, bro, did you even like read anything on my homepage? Cause the first thing it says is recover out loud. Schedule an interview with me on the way out podcast. Yes, dude. (laughs) You know I'm what? Like, you should you should have gave him the address to a to a NA meeting, man, and said meet me here at six o'clock. Oh, dude, <laughs> that, I'm gonna do that shit next time. <laughs> They'll show up and be like, "What the hell? This is a church? What are we yeah. doing here, bro? I you got, got the you. you got the stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah. I got the stuff that right good, through these doors, bro. That good recovery, dog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> dude, that's well, a man, genius. That's a genius idea. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, all in all. Uh, you know, I think that, <laughs> I think that, uh, for me, if, if, um, look, I still struggle in the mornings, man, with that loud voice every day, every day. It's yeah. the first thing is shouting into my soul. Like you, you are white trash to the bone. You're a fucking liar. You know, this ain't you. These people will eventually know who you really are. All of those things. And I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you you want to call it the enemy, call it your addiction, um, call it whatever. Um, and, 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 and I, I get tired of that fight obviously, but I'm, I'm also encouraged by the struggle because it reminds me that every day that goes by that voice doesn't get less loud. Mm. But the amount of time that it's shouting at me becomes less every day. And it used to be I'd have to spend the first hour, two hours of my day, you know, uh, struggling like to exhaustion against that voice. And now it's a deep breath in and a deep breath out. And then I spend the rest of my day in joy, man. And you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I think that for our listeners, your listeners, I think, I think that's, um, it's important to realize what that voice is. Yes. It's your addiction. Yes. If you listen to it, you go back down the rabbit hole, but you should be encouraged because man, if you're alive to hear that voice shouting at you, you, you have the strength to shout back. Right. And that's a big deal, bro. And then I think to the, that's instructive because some people, especially in early recovery, I think still feel like the lines are blurred between fantasy Mm. and reality. Like it's hard to discern what's real and what's not. And like for me, for me, I, and I still have these dreams sometimes, but to your point, they're much less frequent, but I had them a lot back then where it would be like, no matter how on fire I was for this recovery shit and I was doing all this good and working real hard at it. Um, I would have these dreams where I was a complete fraud. Yep. 
and somebody was calling me out either in the dream or it was like I was high and I was beating myself up for it and it felt so real yeah that i would like wake up and it would take me a while to recognize that that was just a dream you know that you know i am really doing the things that i'm doing and i really am clean and and that my heart's really in this place that that you know i'm trying to like let people know it's in and it but if you have trouble distinguishing fantasy from reality, it can be easy to buy into the lie even. So I think to back to that uh, accountability piece or just the community aspect of recovery, that's what's so important to have those people around you. Because if I'm willing to be transparent and uh, put that out there that I'm struggling in those ways, uh, then I have these other people that can, you know, just like you said, they can call me on my shit, but yeah. they can also mirror back to me that I really am walking the right path and I really am doing the right things. And that this is not, does not mean that I'm fundamentally fucked up, that I'm having these <laughs> thoughts or these dreams. In fact, it's normal, you know, right. like you know, it sounds cliche, but everybody goes through this stuff. Right. We all have to, you know, yeah, persevere, I get it, man. persevere through it. And it's just tough. Yeah. And so with, with all of that, you know, I, we definitely qualified. Yeah. We definitely heard that your journey <laughs> has been turbulent and, I just love, though, how it was like you basically got sentenced to Teen Challenge, which eventually led you to Christ, which led you to what I call, and I've felt it since uh, I first felt the Holy Spirit laid on me. I was just like full full of this like thirst. And thank God, you know, it's that was in 2017. So it's been almost five years since I came to Christ and it hasn't left me. Um, I still feel that thirst. I still feel that hunger. I still want to know more. I still want to get to know him more. I still want to like help him understand me more, even though I know that he knows everything anyway, he's omnipotent. (laughs) Every hair on your head, bro. But that is uh, what a relationship's about, right? It's communication. So he still wants to hear you say it. All, everything tell him all the things but i'm like i feel like i'm getting squirreled out on this tangent <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like dude walking the journey you end up coming to christ you end up getting into what is that discipleship training or something yeah. like that yeah yeah uh, through through team challenge you do that class that that end up working it been short term where the desperation is real yeah, front lines, bro. Yeah, I worked there for a little while. The only reason I stopped was, well, because I was working a full-time job on top of it, so I got burnt out. But I also didn't like that they called the job recovery coach. And then, you know, I had just gotten certified as a peer recovery specialist, and I yeah. did a lot of classes and trainings around recovery coaching. And 
what it is based on the SAMHSA definition. And, you know, like the basically the conversation boiled down to, I was like, this is a tech position. This yeah. is enforcing rules, searching people, persons and property, you know, uh, driving them around to meetings, baby, you know, an overpaid babysitter kind of, yeah. but a recovery coach is peer to peer support, you know, coming yeah. from your lived experience. Da, 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 da. So I was like, you know, I feel like I felt like it was kind of falsely advertised. And then they just explained that under that umbrella or their company, uh, you know, any, any company can call a position, whatever they want to, you know, title they want to give it. So that's sure. just the name that they came up with, you know, whether it's because they thought it sounded good or it is you know, catchy. It you is. Know? It's, pretty dope and honestly if i would have sucked it out maybe i would have uh liked it more but i was tired i was cranky yeah i was broke i was really struggling financially at the time even though i was working like a dog and you know it took a long time to pull myself out of that financial hole right. too in this deal but boy anyway you know i digress but yeah it was it was a lot of desperation there is what I was going to yeah. say. <laughs> you know, like I'd seen it firsthand, seen that, that it, uh, it, and I think it's funny too, cause I still, there's a few of the dudes that were there when I, when I was, uh, working there that I'll still bump into once in a while. Yeah. They're still, they're still in recovery and they're yep. doing really good. I seen a couple of them at the walk, the walk for recovery last fall. So it's awesome it's a blessing when you see people get it you know yeah yep yeah well it's really cool for me and my time there and i'll just keep this brief um i i was fortunate to be able to be direct staff um at that point i was in a leadership structure so i wasn't a recovery coach but i i oversaw all the recovery coaches and i always really like to be super involved with the men right like as direct as possible and I often had to like take talk, you know, deal with them when they had disciplinary issues and stuff. But there's like six or eight guys that I had the super privilege of being directly involved with that I ended up like hiring a couple of them when I still work there. But then now those guys have all filled the gaps in that and they're all still working in that program where they got sober in, dude. And I mean, we're talking five, six years on yeah. and, and dude, to be able to now to, you know, to kind of, uh, mentor them and help them on the front end to now being peers and treat, you know, treat them as friends and brothers in Christ. It's just like, mm -hmm. dude, every time I see this little, and they're all still friends. And so watching their families, ex you know, explode and, they're getting yeah. married and finding their people, and it's just beautiful, man. It's just a beautiful <laughs> thing. Oh, you it hear is. my son? I got to yeah. wrap it up here soon. My bro, my son's freaking out, man. Sorry. All right, all right. I'll, well, I'll, I'll pause. I hope you can edit that out, bro. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're totally good. You're totally good. Um, right. I'm going to do these rapid-fire questions quick, and we'll get you on your way. All right. Sorry all about right. that. It's totally fine, brother. We've been chatting for a while. Okay. And I mean, I could do this all night, you know. Yeah, that. me too. <laughs> I love it. Um, but family first. Uh, first question for the rapid fire closing segment. What does your daily recovery routine consist of? Yeah. 
it's uh, it starts with prayer. Um, it's sustained by um, introspection and accountability from some really long-term people in my life, family, but friends who have become family. Um, it is um, also sustained throughout the day uh, with service work, right? Um, mm. And then it ends uh, ends with prayer. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel yeah. like it's funny that you chose to use the word sustained because uh, typically I kind of do a little tangent before I ask that question about how here at the Whale Podcast, we think that daily routines are so imperative when it comes to having a sustainable yeah. and fulfilling recovery, right? Like you need to have some type of routine. You need to have a way to get your mind right. You were talking about struggling in the morning. I found uh, through the Bible, uh, it's a program, you can get it on an app. It's also on the radio, uh, but then you would have to tune in at the specific time. You know, screw all that. My schedule varies. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, and it's always earlier than it would be on the radio. But I, I listen to that every morning, and it, it brings me to a place where I'm learning about God, where I'm close to God. Uh you know, even just within the program itself, you pray like five different times. Uh, so it's, I love it. It it yeah. gets my mind right. It gets me centered. It welcomes God in to the situation on days when I forget to listen to that, or I forget to have some morning prayer, you know, things can get really weird. And then I'll be like, what, the, what is going on with me? And it's that uh, things never get weird where I get all bent yeah. out of shape and stuff. It seems like, at least in my my yeah. experience, but you can get edgy and you know, yeah. like. But it yeah. doesn't seem to happen uh, where I'm noticeably like kind of disturbed by my reactions to things <laughs> when I start yeah. my day with the Lord. So, <laughs> Amen. Yeah, yeah I agree. <laughs> uh, so, next question: What's a book or piece of recovery literature that has had the biggest impact on your recovery? Yeah, I mean, uh, the so the Bible, um, obviously, uh, would be the primary answer. I continuously find great wisdom and direction in Scripture, clearly. But yeah. uh, a secular or non-Christian piece of literature that was critical, and I still go back to it frequently, is The Four Agreements by yeah. Don Miguel Ru- Ruiz, I think. Um, yeah. if listeners, if you haven't read that book, uh, I would suggest it. And, and if you have read it, let me, you know, uh, just say that you have a discerning taste in book, uh, books, <laughs> this, that book has, it was, uh, it, it, it was, and has continues to just, <clears throat> man, what an unbelievable, uh, belief system, you know, and it, even though it's not Christianity, the same concepts are present, right? And so, yeah, I think Don Miguel Ruiz is one of the one of the great secular writers of our time. Um, you know, I I uh, I really appreciate his work. Yeah, absolutely. I love that book, and uh, I've read it a number of times as well. And you'd probably not be surprised to hear that the Bible is one of the for sure the top three responses we get from guests on this show really that's so encouraging man it is that's awesome it is but it's like 
and yeah, I bet you could name the other two, but it's it's like the Bible, <laughs> the big book, and yeah. the NA basic text. They're the yeah. most most frequently people just they're like, well, of course, you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next question. What is the best piece of advice that you have received in your recovery? Oh. Man, that's a good question. Um, can, um, can I can I just briefly like uh, kind of tell a quick story? And and dude, so, totally. Yeah. Okay. So so I had this chaplain. His name was Tyler Grant. Um, just an amazing servant uh, of the Lord, but also just like a super weird guy. God, I hope he hears this podcast uh, someday. Maybe I'll direct him towards it. But he, I was struggling. I would meet with this guy weekly, and I would say, I don't understand integrity. I don't. I mean, I got the intellectual part of it, and I don't understand humility. And, and specific to the humility part, I really struggled with that because I was a completely selfish bastard, right? And so he would try to like. I mean, I could give the answer when asked, oh, humility is blah, 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 thinking less of yourself and more of yourself, whatever, you know, that platitudes, yeah. right? But I really wasn't getting it, and he could tell. And so I we circled back to the question of humility, and he said, I want to show you something, and maybe this will help you. And I said, okay. And so it was the dead middle of winter in 30 below outside, and he walks me outside to the parking lot at teen challenge and we're standing there freezing our asses off and he said do you know which one of these is my car and i said no and he said that's my car and he pointed to the car that was in the very last parking spot in the very back of the parking lot there must have been another hundred parking spots open at this point and everybody's clustered near the door their cars obviously because you're freezing to death right and he said every single day i come here every single day rain or shine i park in that spot because i want to leave a spot open a head that's closer to the door for a person who may need it more than i do he said that that is humility and i was like i get it i get it now and so I I would say that <clears throat> that visualization has helped me so oh, I'm getting choked up. Yeah. It has helped me so much over the last 8 years that whenever I feel myself getting to the point where I'm questioning my humility or whatever, I'm like, well, all I need to do is park in the back. There you go. <laughs> and if I do that, then I'll get back on track. So that would be the, that would, I would say that would be the most helpful thing to me because without humility, uh, the rest of it kind of doesn't really work, you know? So for long anyways, right. You might be able to white knuckle it for a while, but yeah, you get it. Hell yeah. No, that was a great story. Park in the back. Yeah. And it'll get you on track. (laughs) (laughs) You just ruined it. No, I did not. (laughs) I know. I'm joking. Don't let it be, don't let it be so. I thought I made it sound swanky for the video. Yeah, it's fresh, dude. Yeah, oh, it's good. fresh. All right. Next question. What is the greatest challenge that you have had in your recovery? 
Um, you know, I thought for, I thought for certain that I was going to work, um, until I retired for, uh, teen challenge. I, I was certain of it. Um, in fact, the certainty came from the fact that, I mean, I have a really bad criminal record, man. And I submitted all of my background check information to DHS uh, appropriately and completely. And then I got hired and I was like, fuck yeah, uh, this is, I, uh, God is good. He made a way for me. I'm yeah. going to do this. And I worked, you know, 50, 60 hours a week, uh, you know, working in that industry, work as much as you want, man. Uh, yeah. And so I, I ended up getting promoted four times. I was being um, sort of considered to be a house manager uh i fully intended on working my way into the executive structure because it turns out i all of the skills i had in the dope game are completely transferable to a leadership structure if you yep. re reframe your mind right and so i'm very uh you know grateful for that the skill set was there anyways uh and yeah, just who would have thought yeah it's weird right and you so just with these same skills <laughs> just before my just before my or right after right at or right after my two years uh anniversary at team challenge i i received a email from um the hr department me and about 12 other guys and they said hey we've done your your background checks incorrectly you need to resubmit and we all lost our jobs that day or a couple days later. And the fucked up part about that is aside from the obvious was I also lived in staff housing. So I also lost my home that day. Yeah. And, um, there I was three years sober. So mad at God. And I, I was sitting on the end of my bed. You ever been so mad that you just, you're just crying, yeah. you know? And I was like, these motherfuckers. I was like, I knew this Christianity stuff was bullshit. I knew that it was fake. I knew I knew it. I knew that I was that white trash piece of shit. And wh what am I going to do? You know, like I got, wh where am I going to move to? You know what I mean? I mean, we all know how difficult it is for felons to get apartments. It's like, yeah. it's like impossible, man. And so I the last thing I remember before I fell asleep that night was, okay, God, if I have to stock shelves at a gas station and live in a shithole, it's better than where I was. So you just lead the way, man, and I'll follow. And I don't care what it looks like. I I'm never going back. I'd rather fucking die. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the next day I woke up to a, a phone call and, um, voicemail a text message and a facebook message from my current employer who was my choir instructor at teen challenge wow. and she said i i desperately need help in my minneapolis office and do you know anybody that would be interested in a job and i said uh i am and <laughs> i would be i said but you know i have this terrible record and i i I would understand if you have to do a background check, but please let me know so I don't waste my time. And she said, this is a private company and we know who you are as a person. And uh, you, can you start on Monday? And so I worked wow. there for the last 
five years giving other people like me the same opportunity that I was blessed with. And in, in the subsequent five years, I've built enough social capital now, you know, praise God that it's afforded me opportunities that transcend my criminal background um, to the point where now, again, I'm moving into an executive role with a new company and helping to pioneer the peer, hopefully helping to pioneer the peer recovery movement um, here in Minnesota. Very fortunate for that. Look at you. Look at you. Look at God. Amen. And, you know, won't he do it? He, well, he does do it every day. We just have to have eyes to see and ears to hear, bro. Because I remember when that happened to you, dude. And I was like, damn. And I remember hitting you up and being like, are you okay? And you were not okay. And then the next day, you were like, praise God. And I'm just like, wow. Yeah, dude. He didn't make you wait too long. He let you sit in your shit for a minute. Yeah. He, he didn't oh. make, he came, right? Man, I was fucking pissed. Solutions, dude. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it, yeah. But it's nice when at least you get afforded some kind of like solution. Yeah. Uh, and, and not only a solution, but, you know, you still can be helping people. You can Amen. still be walking in your purpose, you know, and unsure where that goes and where that leads and seeing you know where it's brought you to today right like fuck dude this is gonna be sweet to see you transition into your new role yeah and and to see uh what kind of waves you can make the ripple effects from your journey are gonna be pretty big bro i appreciate that man it's well that's helpful because sometimes i don't you know so I try not to think about that stuff too much because I don't, I mean, I, my, I already have a physically big head. Uh, I don't, I don't, you know what I mean? The so. ego is not your amigo. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Next question. So. What is the greatest success <laughs> no. in your recovery? Oh, the complete restoration of my family. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the the absolute restoration of all of the best parts of my family. I, I literally would not be the person I am today without them. And I, I, I don't have the words, bro. Like I am the person that my family needs me to be at all times. I'm reliable, dependable and um, consistent and, Honestly, one step further than that, my kids are not going to have to struggle with the things that I struggle with. So I guess, to be honest, the best, my greatest success would be breaking the chains of mental health and addiction so my kids don't have to fuck with that shit. You know what I mean? Amen. And especially your youngest, too, they're never going to see you high. Yeah. God willing, of course. Yeah. But yeah. boy, you know, you're doing all these things. You're doing the work, you know, to sustain it. And that's what it is. We have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. You're maintaining that shit. So, yep. Yep. You're good. All right. Next question. I know you're in a hurry. <clears throat> this one's a heavy one. And then we're going to finish with a fun one and we're done. Okay. What What is something that you haven't forgiven yourself or someone else for? 
So, um, when I, let's see, I got arrested in 2013 on a warrant, right? There's a probation warrant. I ended up doing a year, uh, executed my sentence, but I, I had my daughter, um, I was living in and out of hotel rooms at the time. And I, I had, I had my daughter and, um, you know, she, almost super young at the time nobody really knew that i was living this double life and my you know obviously my kid's mom didn't know that otherwise she would never would have gave my kid to me to visit so i had her for like a week or something and and uh i i tried to keep that life away from her as much as possible and i think i was fairly successful but i took her to this hotel to go swimming and i ended up you know, meeting somebody, they were buying some weight off me. So I had that in the room up, you know, obviously out of reach and stuff, but, um, they came and bought it and they left and I had a friend there with me, my friend who unfortunately has passed away. She died a couple of years ago from her addiction issues, but we were, we were there and she was watching my daughter as I ran out and ran a couple, you know, dropped a few things off and I ended up getting arrested that night on a, on that warrant. And I had, to, um, I had to, I had one square friend, one friend. She had no idea I was into drugs. She was a really naive person, but I, I loved her. She's a great, great person. I had to call her from the cop car and tell her to go pick my daughter up. It was like one o'clock in the morning. And, I sat in the back of this fucking cop car and watched my friend walk out with my, I think she was like eight at the time. And, you know, she was carrying her and there was spotlights and, uh, I fucking struggle with that to this day, bro. I mean, that's been, uh, 10, 10 years ago that happened. Yeah. And, um, you know, when it's just me, the walls and my, um, the the recesses of my mind i often think of that and i haven't been able to bring myself to the cross uh bring bring myself to bring that to the cross yet and i don't know if that's some sort of um you know self-punishment thing i i i can't be sure because i've brought everything else i'm holding on to that for whatever reason but i think god knows that it'll it'll happen when it happens and and that will be the last vestige of my old life man you know what i mean yeah. So that was fucking heavy, bro. Yeah. I think it's the funny thing is though, is like you just go ahead and do it and bring that to the cross. Yeah. Guess what, dude? Someday you're gonna find yourself, you know, in here, in your head, and yeah. it's gonna you're gonna have to re experience that and you're gonna have to bring it to the cross again. I mean, yeah, it's it's you know, uh, I haven't ever told that story out loud seriously until now oh i told my wife yeah but i yeah. i've never said that out loud in in an interview or anything like that so yeah. maybe this is the beginning of that few steps to pin it to the cross eh? we'll see hey do it <laughs> just just do it hey i, I appreciate you sharing that with, with yeah. me um i'll i'll share one with you since right. since we're doing this and hopefully it's okay yeah of course <clears throat> so one time at band camp no just kidding <laughs> but i was i was uh 
I had my son for the weekend. It was when I was selling for the cartel. It was when I was, uh, I had just dumped a lot that day. Yep. Like pretty much everything I had, stacks of cash. <clears throat> and I, I knew everybody was taken care of. So <clears throat> even though I had my son, I thought it'd be a good idea when I put him down for bed, right? Like when I'm yep. off, shut the phone yep. off and go to Toontown for the night. And I did that. And then the next morning, I was still, I mean, I, I did way too much. I was tripping. Uh, I was going from window to window. I was peeping and I was really, yep. I was really geeking out and uh, just lost in my own world. My son had woke up. At the time, he was sleeping in one of those like little portable play pen things. Yep. So, and he was pretty big. He was like, almost three he could climb right out of the thing so he did and he climbed out and he came upstairs and i didn't hear him so when i did hear him i was standing there dude and i'm like when i turned to look at him he scared the shit out of me he made me jump and he's got this diaper that's like you know looks like it weighs 10 pounds yeah on. And he's standing there with these uh, puffy eyes, you know, because he just woke up, you know, kind of droopy eyes. But he was mimicking me, like my body language and stuff, like looking like he was, you know, playing the part of like a fucking crackhead. And dude, pure innocence doing that. Uh, that image is forever burned on my brain and it's something that I'll never forget. And it's a hard memory to, to share because when I share it, then I have to re-experience it. This is very hard for me and it'll always be with me. Yeah. Always burned in my brain. Um, it's a tough that's in that man sad thing is we got a lot of the those things we do right? eh? yeah we got a lot of those like memories that we have to live with now but thank god that he can take it away or yeah you know you know what i love is that there's a balance man i'm, I'm super big on balance and like for every for every horrible memory that i hold like that and there's a thousand of them right. uh whether I've seen them or been part of them or whatever, there's a million better memories that are existing in my recovery. Yeah. And and I think the balance, it's really important to remember that like, you know, I mean, it's easy to hear God's voice when you're standing on the mountaintop and it's really easy to hear it when you're at the bottom of the rabbit hole. Cause you're so desperate. All you want to do is listen for anything that will give you hope. But I think that for those of us who are in the grind of recovery and it is a grind, like the most important lessons to my life, to my recovery have come from not the bottom or the top, but the journey in between, you know what I mean? And so like, I think what's helpful in those moments where I feel tired and it's like, man, there's, there, there is balance here and we're striving towards it. You know, I appreciate you sharing that with me, man. Yeah, no no problem. Dude, it's crazy, too, because when I think of that story, um, 
I, I become very emotional initially and, and I'll feel just this shame, you know, first thing shame. Yeah. But, uh, then I think about me and Wyatt now. Yeah. Think about how beautiful our relationship has become. Yeah. That, and then I think about how back then I really had like, I thought I was a pretty good dad. I thought I was a good dad, you know? Yeah. And maybe I was a little bit, you know, people do tell me that used to use with me and stuff that are, or that, you know, were my friends and they cared about me and they knew I was fucking up, but they, they also like thought that I maybe would figure it out because I was, it seemed like I was doing okay or whatever, but people, people have told me, you know, you were always a good guy. So maybe I was kind of a good dad, but regardless of that, whether it's true or not, I, I know the difference that has come and none of this, the way that I parent, the way that I own my mistakes, the way that I communicate with my son, the qualities that I try to instill in him uh, are all these same things that have changed my life and recovery principles. And, yeah. and it's like I stuff I never was taught. So, I mean, it's, I firmly believe like you can't have one without the other. Right. Amen. You just can't balance. Right. Right. And so that's why I brought that up. But anyway, last question, dude, my fave, what is a song that symbolizes recovery to you? Yes. So I actually pulled that up um, so that I can um, tell you it's very specific. Okay. So it's uh, the hymn, the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, but it's performed by Carrie Underwood and C.C. Winans. Um, it's right there on, um, on YouTube and I am telling you, I got, I cannot listen to that song without sobbing with joy, man. I just cannot. Uh, it, it has embodied everything that I've been through to where I've gone through to, to where I'm at now. And, and it just completely reminds me that I would not be this person without uh, Jesus Christ dead at the center of all of this. So, Amen. Um, so that's the song. And I told and that, my wife, I said, please play this at my funeral. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, dude. You know? That that you guys will be on our playlist that's curated by all of our guests and their song picks on Spotify exclusively. It's uh, called the Way Out Playlist, and the image is our logo, so you can't miss it. Um, check it out it's a fun eclectic mix that you'll get musical whiplash i always warn people you'll get musical whiplash when you listen to that <laughs> playlist but it's really good and especially if you've heard the interviews and you know the stories and you feel like you've connected with these guests in some way they i think have a deeper significance when you listen to them tony thanks man thank you what Appreciate a pleasure you. bro and it's hey you know i i always enjoy spending my time with you we um, you know, it's like our orbits connect, uh, once a year or so, and we have these really great conversations and then we go back in service and then we connect and orbit yeah. again. And, yeah, and, uh, I think, I think I'm, I'm, I'm good with that, you know, yeah, man. I'd like to see you more, but whatever season we're in right now, just know that, um, you know, I'll be praying for you brother and all of the things that you're doing. And I was completely 
blown away. I had no idea that you had so many episodes. And so I've been kind of going through them when I have time and just, just the quality of what you guys are doing here is just, it's, it's so necessary. And I just really want to thank you for all your work, bro. Uh, it's, it's great. So. Well, we appreciate your encouraging words, bro. And uh, yeah, I'm going to keep doing it. I don't plan on stopping. This is one of the most uh, special things that I've been able to be a part of. So cool. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> you guys out there listening. Thanks for sticking around. I hope you enjoy our talk in the week ahead. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Peace. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to The Way Out Podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time, and remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.